Hello, members, friends, and neighbors of Peace Lutheran Church in beautiful downtown Puyallup, Washington, to episode 29 of our church's podcast during this time in quarantine. Uh, together in the Word on Pioneer and Third, where we're six feet apart, almost, <laughs> and uh, yet we are face-to-face with the challenge and promise of Holy Scripture. My guest for episode 29 is our newest member of Peace, uh, and a courageous soul who's d- uh, dived in with us in this strange time, this unprecedented time of being church, uh, Andrew Gubsch. Thank you so much for being my guest on episode 29. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. Uh, Andrew, uh, everything you tell us about yourself is going to be news to us because many of us haven't had a chance to meet you. So uh, uh, would you let us know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um so I've kind of, I've been a lifelong raised Lutheran from the very get-go. I grew up in uh, Leavenworth and Kashmir. So a lot of people know Leavenworth as the Bavarian village. A lot of people visit it during the holidays. So um, grew up there. Uh, at the very start of my life, my dad was um, an ELCA pastor uh, in Kashmir. So that's kind of how we came towards Washington. Before I was born, they had lived in Minnesota and... Uh, uh, found their way through uh, the calling process of the church to come here. So um, that's kind of my origins. And um, growing up, um, about when I was in third grade or so, uh, my dad uh, left the church. Um, just uh, he had a coming out process and um, something that kind of had been hiding in him for a long time, but how. His upbringing was he wasn't able to fully express that and at the time in the church that wasn't necessarily very acceptable so he left the church and then um, I continued my Lutheran uh, upbringing in Celebration Lutheran Church which is in East Wenatchee Mm -hmm. Um, went with my mom often there Mm -hmm. so um, that led through high school, I went and I followed that Lutheran path uh, that my dad and my mom uh, and my brother all went to PLU. And I know uh-huh. there's a lot of people that I've heard on the podcast that are PLU grads. A lot of Lutes so, here, yeah. Keith, yes. <laughs> you are in good company. Yeah, yeah. So um, went to PLU. Wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, kind of went through a lot of different options and ended up landing in the nursing program. Um, was thinking about education because I come from a family of educators. My mom's a teacher. A lot of my grandparents were teachers. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew somehow I wanted to help people. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't sure what that was going to look like. Um, and so I said, hey, nursing's great. I, <laughs> I heard good things about the program and uh, kind of jumped head on into that and um, ended up um, graduating around 2015 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time period, kind of from high school to college, I kind of turned away from religion a little bit. I think part of that was just my experience of seeing, um, maybe not necessarily LCA, but other churches and how my dad was portrayed or how my dad felt about that. I, um, just felt, I think a lot of, worries about judgment or um, being accepted for my beliefs so I kind of turned away from that for a little bit and that was a struggle really for um, uh, a while even post-graduation and um, when I was in nursing I did a good year and a half on a post open heart surgery floor. So that was quite an eye 
opening experience um, for me. And um, I had kind of been successful all the way through that, that point in high school, you know, I was valedictorian, I played on the sports teams, and in college I won, um, I uh, won a nursing award for the best clinical person, and so I had been used to success, and so I jumped into this open heart surgery floor, and wanted everything to be successful, perfectionist, and I was successful, was training new nurses, um, was doing a lot of things on the unit, um, and a lot of times they give me the harder patients because they thought I could huh. handle them. Because you were ambitious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I had to learn the tough lesson about self-care. Huh. So I got about, you know, about year and a half, almost two years into my nursing process. And I was working night shifts and I was picking up 16-hour shifts and uh, ended up burning out pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt my physical and mental health kind of declining. I had a herniated disc in my back that I could like barely getting out of bed every day. And then that kind of messes with your mental health and pain. And so I had to make the really tough decision to take a step back. Um, I was fortunate enough to be dating my now fiance, Hannah at the time, who was a nurse. And I had um, the privilege of being able to just take a, take a full step away from nursing and kind of reassess life and reassess um, maybe um, things I could do to be healthier and um, I kind of I kind of always felt that maybe something was kind of missing there I couldn't tell you know I wanted to help people (laughs) I had you know romantic life work life all figured out and then um, that step back kind of led up to um, applying to Starbucks Mm -hmm. Uh, which is where I'm at now. So that was kind of my job where I was like, okay, I still want to connect with people. I'm trying to figure out maybe what I'm looking to do. And so I kind of jumped into that company and who doesn't love coffee? So everybody. (laughs) Yeah. So um, started working there and I've had some great experiences where I've kind of just stuck with it maybe a year longer than I had originally planned. Okay. I uh, got invited to open a new concept store at the corporate office, uh, kind of like a high-end reserve store. And wow. I had some just, like, unforgettable experiences there, you know? Who gets sure. to say they made uh, espresso macchiato for Howard Schultz, Yep. you know, on the bar? And so I got to do some really cool things there. Fun. Um, and then that kind of led up to the COVID uh, situation. I kind of transferred back to my other store to maybe think about going to management or wasn't really sure. And then COVID hit. Yeah. <laughs> like for most people, it kind of just made me hit a pause on everything. And yep. I got put on paid leave, which I'm very fortunate to have been able to do that mm-hmm. where I was uh, had an income coming in. And mm-hmm. so then I just started reading and kind of reflecting mm. on everything. And then I've talked about this with you before. Um, there was a specific moment where I was just sitting outside and I was reading. And all of a sudden, I just felt this wave of clarity and uh, elation. Mm. And I realized that maybe some of my self-care things that I was kind of missing was actually I had a real longing to, for to be back in Lutheran church and back mm. into religion. I had that maybe spiritual aspect missing. Mm. And so I just really felt like the Holy Spirit kind of moved through me and I just felt this huge sense of like a calling to want to jump back into church and maybe even look into doing that in some type of 
um, professional capacity, uh, still trying to discern what, what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first step was uh, finding a church. And so um, I turned to my brother, who actually got ordained, um, at P- uh, went to PLU and then went to Luther Seminary in Minnesota. Um, and he's currently in Texas serving down there. Um, and so I reached out to him and then his wife, who's also worked through some nonprofits within the ELCA. Um, they have a lot of contacts in the area or around the denomination. And that's where Peace Lutheran came in. Uh-huh. <laughs> where I, I kind of had... Um, was looking for a way to re-engage with uh, the Lutheran tradition, and um, uh, so they set me up. I reached out to you, and <laughs> the rest is history. I've kind of d- dived head-on yeah. into into the virtual worship, yeah, and Wonderful. I've been loving it. Um, you know, hearing the stories that I grew up are taking on a new meaning now that I've been through a little bit of life and experience, yes. and um, you know, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> I'm having to learn the stories all over again, but they take on a whole new meaning mm. for me. So I've been really enjoying it. That's beautiful. I really appreciate you telling your story. And uh, I am so grateful for the powerful spiritual experience that you had. Um, and uh, really, you, you, you talk about it in a really wonderful way. And so I'm grateful for, for your willingness to share that part too, because uh I think sometimes we have a hard time identifying those moments in our lives when we might experience God's grace in sort of a more uh, vivid way. Uh, so, so thanks for that. And, and I, hope, I hope you cling to that forever. I have very few moments in my life of clarity, but one or two that kind of ring true when you tell your story a little bit. And I, I cherish those moments as, uh, you know, way stations, places on the, on the journey where maybe I was able to take a pause and, and maybe take in the, my surroundings uh, in a way that was gracious and, and uh, life-giving. So I'm, I'm grateful for, for that for you. And I'm, I'm grateful as a, as a leader at Peace that you found us uh, and are bringing your gifts and your life experience and your passion to bear on our congregation uh, you are one of only two households of people who have joined the church during the time of pandemic. It's a pretty unique thing to do, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I'm so grateful you found us uh, and grateful in advance for everything that you're going to do with us in ministry. Yeah. And, and likewise, I feel like even though we're far apart and virtual, I've felt nothing but warmth from oh, congregation good. members and you, and you've been so understanding as I'm trying to dive into what uh, jumping back into church means of in course. the time of COVID. Yeah. So I've um, yeah. been enjoying it. Well, we, I speak on behalf of the congregation. Welcome and um, wishing you the best in your continued spiritual journey. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> um, you know, I've been asking, Andrew, I've been asking all my guests two questions about COVID. And the first is kind of a personal question. You've kind of alluded to some things already, but uh, simple, What? how have you been getting through? What has this time been like for you personally? Yeah, I mean, um, I think for everyone it's hard being not being able to do what you're used to being able to do and having to adapt your life kind yeah. of um, around that. And so, um, you know, it's been challenging, especially uh, more so just supporting Hannah, uh-huh. my fiance. She's a nurse and... Um, you know, it's been a challenge with, you know, like um, with the protect- protective gear with COVID and they're kind of managing how do we 
take care of all these sick people, um, you know, in this time. Yeah, she's on the front line. So, yeah, she, um, she works labor and delivery, but a lot of nights she's kind of taking on the charge role or she does the emergency department sure. role. And so, like, having to have sick moms who are also pregnant coming in and yeah. helping take care of them and making sure baby's okay, it's... That's uh, wild. It's a challenge, and yeah. it's a lot, so... Um, I'm more focused on supporting her, and yeah, then yeah. I also have all of these personal things where I'm kind of um, yeah. growing myself. Yeah. So, um, in a way, COVID was a little bit of not a blessing for all the sick people, but mm-hmm. for me, I was able to take a step back and maybe figure out uh, a gr- bigger direction that sure. I wanted to take. Uh, well, you're not alone. I mean, I hope so. that again. We, you know, we we don't want to pro- you know we don't want to project the idea that somehow COVID is like. A, a good thing right. yeah, obviously terrible. it's a tragedy and a, and a, a devastating one at that um and has been a really profound challenge for people like your fiance and others who you know have put themselves at risk in in their work in unique ways but it has forced us to a screeching halt in a lot of ways uh for all for all the right reasons right to protect public health and to to slow the spread of the of the virus Right. And of course, we've had to do something with that psychologically, spiritually. You know, what right. what is it, how are we going to respond? In in some cases, of course, anxiety our anxiety has gone through the roof, and and you know we've been unwilling to make small adaptations. Even sometimes we'll see that in in public life, um, and there's been a lot of sort of social and political turmoil that's that's mm-hmm. come up as a result. It's not surprising because that's people. You know, I think that's a, a, a function of crisis is that. Yeah. It sort of brings to head to a head some things that really matter, um, political realities, um, social realities in our country. Uh, but it also it, it's a per it, it, in every, each individual's case, I suppose, it's an opportunity to kind of take stock of what's going on in your life. You know what what's worth going back to, right? If we're going to rush back to to normal, what, you know what what normal is worth having anymore, exactly, right? And, yeah. and so sort of uh, reevaluating things, I think. I, I, I would hope for everybody, regardless of the impact that COVID has had on their lives, I would hope that everybody has an opportunity to take a deep breath and say, what, what is this going to mean for me, especially for my health, my physical, but also my mental and spiritual health? Yeah. So yeah, and, there's nothing wrong with that. I actually yeah. I admire you for, for doing that consciously. Yeah. And sometimes it, it even help is just to maybe focus on whatever positivity you can sure. grasp onto. You yeah. Know? I mean, I think it's easier said than done. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I can only imagine what some people sure. in the country are going through of right course. now with the illness and then job losses and then right. political turmoil. There's mm-hmm. just so much going on in the world. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, there's certainly more stress than any of us usually has to deal with. Yeah. And so managing our stress in a healthy way or unhealthy way, that's kind of a a choice I guess we each have. And of course we can also choose to support each other or not. Um, And there's really important questions there for how we do that, especially when we can't, you know, give hugs uh, or visit each other in our homes. Um, That's been a really big question for the church. How do we continue to express the love of God, manifest it in our, in our community and and to each other when we can't actually physically be together and, church relies so heavily on being physically together yeah so thank you i appreciate that that we sort of kind of wandered into an answer to the second question uh that i want to ask you but sort of a bigger picture question a philosophical mm-hmm. question about covid um you know we've we've sort of seen how this particular moment 
uh, has maybe brought out both the best and the worst in us as a, as a community, as a nation. If you could cast a vision for the time after COVID, someday we get COVID under control and uh, we sort of look back on it and say, this, this made us better in these ways. If you could cast a vision for how that would go, what would it look like for you? I guess the first word that kind of pops into my mind is just um, resilience mm. and hope. You know, I mm. think we have been thrown so many curveballs and are having to create new ways to live our lives, um, mm-hmm. including in the church, you know, new ways to worship. And we've mm-hmm. been able to build maybe new skills that we might mm-hmm. not have otherwise um, if COVID hadn't been a thing. So um, moving forward, I guess. My hope would just be that we take what we learn from this mm. and all of the tools that we built up and use them to f- keep improving as yeah. a society or yeah. church or yeah. um, individuals. Yeah, wonderful. I love that word resilience. People are remarkably resilient yeah. given, the, oh, the whole course of history. I mean, you think about all of the terrible things humanity has been through in every generation, and yet somehow we learn to thrive, right? We mm-hmm. Communities survive and continue to support each other and all that but yeah we learn stuff too like i wonder like if this is one of those before and after moments and i'm pretty sure it probably will be right that we think about before and after covid in in this way what did we learn and one of the interesting things that's that's come up for us as a congregation is even as people have been wisely cautious to come back together for worship one of the things that i've heard people say is even when we do come back someday whatever that looks like uh, and, you know, maybe someday we can do it safely again and some things will change, but maybe we'll be largely back to the way we were worshiping in person at some point down, down in, the, in the distant future. Even when we do that, we really want to keep having access to the live Facebook feed for worship. Right, yeah. And I thought, yeah. oh boy, well, people have, you know, on the one hand, Facebook live worship is not the same as being in person, mm-hmm. but people have actually really responded well to it because it, you know, and not even, not even, uh, for reasons of public health, but people have said, hey, hey, if I'm you know, traveling or if I want to share worship with a person who doesn't live in our community, I can do that by just, you know, tapping into the Facebook yeah. live feed. I wonder how much of our ministry is going to be is going to be online permanently, right, in ways we might not have anticipated. Yeah. Which, of course, if you had told me that five years ago when I arrived at Peace, I would have told you, wait, are you kidding me? We're going to be an <laughs> online church? What do you mean? Here right. we are. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so so learning new skills and and kind of refining those skills, I you know that's been it, on the one hand it's been a real challenge for me personally, and I think for you know members of our congregation, but also a joy kind of now that yeah. some of it is in place, and now we're sort of thinking about tweaking it a little bit, right? And what's really working for people, and what's maybe not working so well, and yeah, and it's been nice just having access to sure. you know someone who's reengaging the faith to sure. multiple different yep. Um, yep. worships or yep. resources. And one thing I've found great joy in is I'll listen to my brother's sermons in addition to worshiping with peace on Excellent. Sundays. And then I get to call him because I grew up with him. We have kind of similar experiences, and then I can talk about the gospel or yeah. what the reading was with him. Brilliant. And that's been kind of a bonding point for me and him even. Yeah. Um, it so access is huge yeah no kidding everyone has access to um, worship right now with wherever they want and I you know I think of maybe our healthcare workers that are working night shifts sure and you know engaged to one or you know people where their schedules Mm -hmm. maybe they're working weekends or whatnot it gives them a way to access and if they want to still be able to utilize that yeah pretty cool I I love it yeah that's great you're not the first person who's mentioned that you have a connection with more than one worshiping community 
Uh, and I think that's, I think that's awesome. I mean, in the end, I think we started thinking about congregations as little fortresses at some point, and right. you know, everyone's their own little world, and and the fact is, we're we're kind of all on the same team. Uh, or at least, you know, we're trying to be on the same team, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, many churches in our tradition, and then, you know, our, obviously we have full communion with other denominations. Right. Uh, boy, we're all, we're all kind of trying to accomplish the same thing, right? And, and, um, and to speak a word of hope and, and bring, bring, you know, a little, a little bit of life, a little bit of abundant life into the world uh, in and through Christ. And boy, if you can kind of tap into that wherever it, feels appropriate to do so. I love it. Yeah. I'm really not a very uh, territorial pastor. I hope uh I hope nobody out there is worried that I'm that I'm sort of uh promoting other congregations, but I am. Uh if you can find another congregation that that uh speaks speaks a word to you too, by all means, if you're if you've got another hour to spend uh worshiping online, come come to peace and then uh and then go elsewhere, right? Good. Yeah. Thanks. I'm really glad to hear that. You know, the second half of our podcast has always been a little bit of Bible study, right. uh, and we've tended to look ahead to the to the gospel for the upcoming Sunday, uh, and I wonder if you might be willing to engage in a little bit Bible study with me. Yeah, let's All right. do it. Good. Uh, our scripture for this Sunday is uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. We're still in year A through the end of the year here. Year A features the Gospel of Matthew, and, and um, this Sunday is no exception. Matthew 21, verses 33 to 46. Matthew 21, 33 to 46. And this is the second of two parables, or second of three parables that Jesus tells in the temple. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. The tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, these, his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Uh, another um, 
tough one, I yeah. think you can say. Uh, we, we tend to use three simple questions in Bible study just to open up conversation, not to restrict it. Uh, and those three questions are, first of all, what simply what do you notice? Is there a word, a phrase, an image that sort of stands out to you? Second question is, what questions do you have? Maybe there's something that bothers you or something you don't understand fully that you might like to delve into a little bit. You don't even have to have an answer to the question. Good questions are always uh, good enough. And then the last question is, what will you take for today? If, if the word is meant to become flesh and live among us, how is this word taking flesh in your life today? That first question is usually the simplest. Should we start there? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so you've heard this story once or twice before in your life, having grown up in the church. Yes. Uh, what about this time through? What stands out? You know, I think um, what stood out to me most was um, it almost felt like Jesus was foreshadowing a little bit uh, uh, coming coming up. Um, you know, I try to place who's who is what in the in the parable, mm-hmm. and like most parables, I think it has multiple meanings. Yeah. But um, I think maybe he was kind of implying that he might be the son in, mm. the, in the parable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think um, the other thing that stood out, maybe it was centered around fruit again. Uh-huh, yep. <laughs> so that Another was, vineyard. So, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, and just, um, it just seemed a little, little harsh. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the thing that, uh, that stands out to me just so clearly this time, is just the absurdity of the violence. Right. It's just absolutely absurd. Uh, so absurd that it's clearly meant to draw our attention to to the violence and how and how ridiculous this is. Um, the other thing that stood out to me was the fact that the <laughs> that the religious elites, right, the leaders who are there, kind of milling about the temple, right. The if the the context matters because since Jesus is in the temple, it's a direct confrontation with religious power. Right. And of course, religious power is aligned with political and social power in the first century. Uh, I, I love that. It's straightforward. When the chief, chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized he was speaking about them. And it was like, uh, duh. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, yeah, yeah, this is yeah. clear. And it's clearly a threat, right? I mean, this is a, you know, he's, he's threatened now that the you in the previous verse, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. That's a reference to religious leaders. Yeah. That stood out really, really clearly to me this time. What about that second question? What questions do you have about this text? Well, I kind of ran through two scenarios in my I had my head. I, yep. I ran through like what it was like actually for Jesus and him talking to um, people in the temple and, um, um, you know, maybe God being kind of the the, the landowner mm-hmm. who's um, sending people mm-hmm. to to the this institution. Mm-hmm. Um, to collect the harvest mm-hmm. and they're denying it and denying it almost kind of pictured it's maybe he's God's grace or the true meaning of mm. what he had mm. um, in in Jesus and his ministry mm. um, and, um, and and then um, the second way I, I pictured it was maybe us the church today mm. as as the um, tenants yeah. Is the people that are watching over the vineyard, yep. and maybe the vineyard is is the church. Yeah. And the, the question that really drives: what does what does that mean for the church today? Yes. Are we being wel- welcoming to the people coming to collect <sighs> to collect the harvest? And um, 
Yep. Um, that that was really kind of what yep. thought came into my mind when I was yep. reading it. And the the last part there with the um, the stone and the cornerstone and using yep, kind of Jesus as the cornerstone really kind of um, stood out to me when yep. I thought of it that way. Wow. Yeah. You've you've really kind of hovered over all of for 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 me. You really hovered over all the important issues that are at stake here. The great question I have is really similar to yours. What kind of tenets are we, right? If this really is a, an allegory, and it does read like an allegory, you kind of alluded to that by saying, Jesus uses the language of sonship and like being an heir. Vineyard is a really powerful biblical image for, you know, the people of God or the world. Uh, so clearly this is an allegory here, uh, at least on, on one level. And we think, yeah, maybe the son of the landowner is probably a reference to himself or or at least to you know the faithful prophet right right who is sent by god to the people of god to to collect the fruits of the harvest right and we even have new testament fruits that we talk about fruits of the spirit uh what is what is the fruit that god expects from god's people from god's vineyard but also what kind of tenants are we are we the violent kind or are we the welcoming kind yeah, i think that's yeah, a great yeah. question for us to ask yeah, no yeah. question and, and, you know, the other question that kind of came into my mind is how can we make God or Jesus or what he's portraying um, as welcoming the weak and the lonely or the people on the fringes? How can we use Jesus as a cornerstone for our church to um, uh, welcome people and use him in our daily Gorgeous. lives wherever we go out uh, in the world? Yeah. I mean, the, the imagery of cornerstone really stands out to me again. This This is a direct quote from Psalm 18, actually. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Uh, and we, we, we think in terms of Jesus being the cornerstone of the church, right? The cornerstone of, of God's kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Uh, we try not to be too exclusive about who belongs and who doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be anti-Jewish. This is certainly not an anti-Jewish text. Um, this is not a reference to God taking away the vineyard from the people of Israel and giving it to Jesus' followers. After all, Jesus is also Jewish, and all of his followers are Jewish. Um, it's really a question about power. It's a question about who, you know, who is exercising authority over God's vineyard, God's world, God's people, and how do we do that faithfully or not, regardless of tradition. Uh, and yeah, the, the stone that the builders rejected, obviously Jesus is a rejected stone in the sense that, you know, he... He brings his gracious life-giving message to the world, and of course, what do we what do we do? We reject him for it, right? We, we are hostile to the word of God in the flesh, uh, so he's rejected, but he becomes the cornerstone. So, how your question is, how can he actually be our cornerstone? How can he be that that part of the spiritual house that we are as people of God, where we really we allow him to be the 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 foundation? We allow him to be to set the the marker, because of course the cornerstone would have been the first stone that would have been laid, right? And then the whole ba- building gets laid out from yeah. that. So how is he the foundation? How is he the the beginning and the and the ending of, of what we're about? Super yeah. good question. Yeah, and it's it's hard. And the other thing I thought of is putting yourself in the place of the tenants. You know, they got put on this vineyard and they probably worked really hard to create this, you know, big crop. And, and uh-huh. so, like, I can see how someone approaching, give me everything. Sure, <laughs> yeah. They might come off. I mean, I think killing people, obviously, is a little extreme, but yep. that's supposed to catch our attention. Yeah. Just um, how do we be humble and share the crop equally among... Yeah. Um, well, you you put your finger on a really important dynamic here, Um in in first century 
agriculture, right? A lot of the workers of the land were not the owners of the land, right? right. There were a lot of people who were kind of barely making it. And even when you did own your own land, uh, you had to pay an exorbitant amount in taxes, at least in 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 um, Judea and Galilee, which of course were occupied by the Roman Empire. Not only did you have to pay taxes to Rome, you also had to pay taxes to the client king of Rome, who is right. Herod. So you're paying taxes to Herod so he can build his lavish palaces and whatever. You're paying taxes to Rome. You're also paying tithes to the temple, right? You're also mm-hmm. paying tithes to the religious establishment. There are a lot of people who are barely making it and this is true also of other um of other traits fishermen for instance would have not gotten a chance to to eat a lot of fish a lot of their fish would have gone in taxes and tithes and tolls to the various powers that be so you're also seeing them like you're casting them in a gracious light because they're vulnerable people too to begin with you know they're they're reliant on the landowner to for their survival right they pay whatever percentage whether it's exorbitant or not to the landowner for his uh for the privilege of working his land who knows how much they have left over in far too many cases in the first century it was the answer was not enough you know there were people that were you know 90 plus percent of the population was living at or below the subsistence level yeah while a very small elite uh, economic elite were were living lavishly we don't know what that's like in our time do we <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're maybe a little bit better off on average, but, uh, yeah, yeah there, this question of like, you know, the, the imagery of the tenants and the landowner is a little bit fraught in that pers- in that context, even though mm-hmm. here, I think we are probably, as you said, really astutely, I think we are supposed to see ourselves as the tenants, um, especially in terms of the, the role that stewardship plays, right? If God entrusts us with God's people, with God's world you know, how do we steward that wisely and generously and, and without doing violence, right? That's the really, that's the big question. But yeah, like seeing, seeing this parable through the eyes of the tenants is actually a really gracious move on your part. (laughs) I appreciate it. Um, do you have any other questions? I guess the only other thought while I was thinking of it is just in terms of the harvest and God's grace, I thought, you know, if we are sharing it, there's yes. unlimited amount of, of love or, Amen. you know, fruit that's uh, available. So i um, just being open to I love that. sharing that. that. Yeah. That gave me a lot of hope just thinking about it. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. The, we tend to look at life uh, with sort of a, a scarcity lens right that there isn't enough to go around there isn't enough material resources uh there's enough love or worthiness or belonging or whatever and that's really a myth right and when you see when you see life through the lens of god's abundance that can change and and it can change us to be more generous and more kind and caring because we recognize that there's not we don't have to hoard any of it right there's plenty of grace and love and mercy for everybody wonderful that's the hope you must be a Lutheran. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, the last question there uh, that we use for Bible study is the one where we kind of get to, it's sort of the rubber meets the road question. You know what? If, you, if you're going to walk away from this scripture today uh, renewed in any way or fed, what is it that you're taking with you? I think just going back to um, 
putting God and Jesus as the cornerstone mm-hmm. as I go out and do whatever I decide to do. Um, and the, the last part of, you know, people falling and breaking into pieces, I almost viewed that um, in terms of my story where mm-hmm. I kind of had to fall <laughs> a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but then I have, you know, God as a cornerstone who had a plan for me and he's slowly kind of putting the pieces back together uh-huh. and building uh-huh building the, uh, the harvest for everyone. Oh, that's and, beautiful. And so going forward, I guess it's just um, hanging on to that hope and uh, um, trying to live my life in a way that uh, reflects Good. kind of the message. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. It's Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That, so you're not permanently shattered. You don't feel permanently <laughs> not shattered. Not at all. Not no, at good. All. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Um, so there's a popular phrase that that, that um, the gospel will set you free, the truth will set you free, but it's going to make you miserable first. <laughs> and I think you might be onto something here. This idea of being crushed or stumbling over the truth maybe gets at a little bit of that. But sometimes uh, our own tendencies, and there's we see them, you know, we see them if we're honest. We see the sort of hostile tendencies or the greedy tendencies or whatever that we are at our whatever we are when we're at our worst. You can kind of see that in the tenants in these story in this story here, um, and uh, maybe we have to trip over the stone or or get crushed a little bit before we can really turn around and, and see how the stone can actually be a, a cornerstone for us, a, yeah. a life giving a life giving foundation. Thank you. Um, you know this. I, it might be because we have read so many parables recently, but I think this this uh, story this time around is really giving me an opportunity to think about why Jesus teaches in story. What is it that's so powerful about narrative? Uh, and that, I suppose that applies to the whole biblical narrative, right? The whole story, sacred story of our faith. Uh, and I found a quote that I really want to share with you about that um, too. In fact, the first comes from a Jewish New Testament scholar uh, who is famous. Her name is Amy Jill Levine. I love her. And she, she writes in a, in a book uh, called Short Stories by Jesus, which I think is a hilarious title. She writes that, that uh, what parables or allegories or, or, or uh, narrative in general does for us is that it, it allows us to think less about what parables mean exactly and more about what they can do. In other words, what does teaching and story accomplish, right? It's not so much about exactly what it means or how perfect the allegory is. It's more about what does this parable do for me? Uh, and... Uh-huh. This other, uh, this other commentator uh, by the name of uh, Richard Spaulding reflects a little bit further on that. He says, uh, an allegory does its literary work obliquely. Its strategy is evocative, not predictive. The intent is to draw us into a landscape of compelling ethical choice making at which point we cease to identify ourselves with the archetypal characters, that is the characters in the story, and begin to function as agents of our own relationships. Uh, And he goes on further to say, the intent of the story is to drill down through layers of denial to the level of recognition, tapping a deep vein of contrition that can finally well up to water new life that is fruitful in gospel terms. Hmm really rich commentary there this idea that stories kind of get under our skin right and instead of uh instead of just prose uh explanations um you know uh any other kind of of teaching 
uh, allegory or parable or story in general kind of uh, gets into our hearts and our minds and kind of works on us a little bit. And he uses the image of the drill, but I wonder if, you know, getting under the skin, kind of inspiring us to think creatively and imaginatively about our, our ethics. I think that's a really helpful helpful way to put it. So that's what I'm taking from this story today is it just a uh, sort of some thoughts about stories in general and how stories can be so powerful and so yeah. transforming for us. I've been, I've been loving that and I look forward to, you know, it almost as a new skill when you've not been doing something sure. for, you know, 10 to 12 years. Just sure. hearing other people's stories through the podcast or listening and um, seeing where the parables or the stories kind of dig down in, yep. in my heart and where they kind of end up. It's yeah. uh, refreshing to be able to do that every week and Wonderful. to have that reflection. I'm really glad for that. Grateful for your your, uh, attentiveness to the podcast in general. Really grateful for your insights and your time today. Andrew Gupsch, my my guest for episode 29 of Together in the Word on Pioneer and Third. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Until next week.